Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. We are in message number two in spiritual practices and disciplines. And, you know, so much of what Josh was saying in there is so valuable if you're going to live a life outside of yourself, if you're going to make it a practice of laying your life down to, in whatever way that you can, minister to others. It's so important that we have a spiritual perspective of ourselves, really first and foremost. Like when you think about yourself, you have to understand yourself from a spiritual perspective. And, and, you know, the problem is we've made spiritual truths and spiritual realities to be things that are way out there, you know, a realm that is way out there when What spiritual is, you hold a door for someone. That's spiritual because it's fueled by a motive from a realm that values kindness to others. Are you with me? It's spiritual to be a blessing to someone financially when they're having a difficult time and they can't meet their own needs. It's spiritual to take of your own resources, give into their life and meet a physical need. You know, we have this mindset, it's really a Gnostic mindset, that there's physical and there's spiritual. And spiritual is everything that's good and physical is everything that's bad. And this world is going to hell in a handbasket because when you talk about physical, then you talk about this carnal physical world and ooh, bad. Spirit good, world bad. And it's like, we, so then it creates this theology where we have no hope for the world and we have no hope for Lie, our personal lives, and we have no hope for real, any real... Ch- are you with me? Are you seeing this mindset? Are you seeing this... Do you have this mindset? I mean, really, think about it. But we, you know, we need to shift our thinking, especially about ourselves, into a spiritual mindset. And, and living spiritually is not necessarily doing mystical, supernatural things as much as it is living in such a way that's inspired by the laws and statutes and values and influence of God where he lives, his kingdom. Because his kingdom is purely spiritual, but it influences us now. So it's not that there's a barrier in between spirit and our physical world. I mean, there, there is, you know, energetically, however we would want to talk, have that language, it'd be interesting to see what that barrier actually is. It's probably less of a barrier than we think. But you can't think of yourself as evil inherently because you have a physical body, but yet one day you'll be spirit and then you'll be good. We have to think of ourselves like he was saying, no, I'm complete in Christ. Christ has done the work of my salvation. Christ has become my propitiation. He is my atonement. He is my entry into that eternal life, but he is the life source from that dimension into this realm from which I live. 
And so therefore, I've been given a status in Christ that I can't earn in my own strength, but yet I have it. So he was talk, Josh was talking about this idea of ministering from the perspective of knowing who you are in Christ, standing in your spiritual identity first and foremost, and then living out of that. And it's not just ministry. It's parenting. It's who are you for your spouse? Who are you for you? When you look in the mirror and you see that whatever's looking back at you, <laughs> No, that wasn't as funny as I thought it was, man. <laughs> Y'all took that a little too personally. Uh, you know what I'm saying. <clears throat> you know, it's like, ooh, the years are coming on. Um, Maybe that's, your that's not just, that's not the definition of who you are. I, I get on these kicks of watching near-death experiences. Have y'all, do y'all do that? <clears throat> because of how I came into Christianity, how I came into faith, you know, I wasn't raised in church, um, didn't really have any kind of background, had this really crazy spiritual demonic experience and through a demonic attack, reasoned that there was a God, went his direction, discovered Jesus was standing there waiting for me the entire time and led me out of darkness into the light. Praise God. Um, Near-death experiences, thank you. So he knows me. He's like, he just got lost. <laughs> I watched one this week from a kid named Jojo Morris. And I was going to share it in our Facebook group. I think I did. I don't know if I did. But he's writing a book now. I, you know, I don't build doctor. I'm not going to try to create a doctrine out of an experience. But you have people having the same kinds, of, same kinds of experiences millions of times over. And they come back and they talk about Jesus in a way that's consistent with Scripture. I think it's something to pay attention to. But what I was going to say is another guy I found, I forgot his name, but he died in his truck and he fell over and he got... He, so here's the point. Consistently, both of those stories, as well as hundreds of others that I've listened to, their experience is they wake up, they, they're, they're facing something, they're either sick or something's going on, uh, and they, they wake up and they feel amazing. And then at some point, they look and they see their dead body there. And I'm thinking that this one I listened to this week, this guy died and slumped over his truck, steering wheel, and he's looking at his body, and he didn't recognize at first. His experience was, from his perspective, he looked at his truck and he saw somebody and he was like, who's in my truck? So he goes to the truck to try to address the guy, and then he realizes, oh my gosh, that's me. And so the point being they pop out of their body. This is not you eternally. Amen? Aren't you thankful for that? You get a new one of these. You can, you can feed on the Spirit to nourish this one. But, you know, it's not like they pop out of their body and then there's this evil thing sitting there that defines their identity. No, their identity, boom, pops out. That's who they are, Spirit acceptable to the Father if they've said yes to Christ and been washed in His blood. Point being, we have to have the perspective of ourselves, first and foremost, when you're facing anything, I am a spiritual being. I have been made new in Christ. I am not my physical existence. I am not my body. I am not my carnal, natural desires. I am my godly spiritual desires. That's who I am. 
So now let me dip back into my temporal existence and then feed on who I am eternally to then hope that assimilates into the rest of my being and fuels my choices and decisions and emotions and actions. You can do that. When you're being tempted, when you have fear, when you have worry, when you have confusion, when life gets heavy, you're watching the news and you think, my goodness, what is happening? Pop out of your body. I'm not saying astral project or do any mystical witchcraft. You know what I'm saying? It's a mental exercise where you just reshift your focus and your, your, your awareness, the perspective from which you are standing to look at life. You change your perspective from a different vantage point, and the vantage point is from heaven. I mean, we're talking about spiritual disciplines and practices. We're talking about the idea. Let me just kind of recap just a little bit. Spiritual practices and disciplines. We are to re so renew your mind and persuade your heart to believe. You're not, you're not engaging in these disciplines and practices to become more holy, to become more righteous. You identify with who you are in spirit, and then you allow that truth and reality to then affect back into your temporal reality. And it's only temporary. Say, it's temporary. I am eternal, and I am eternally righteous now. <laughs> so when you engage in these, and, there, and there's many, you know, I've looked at, I've searched and looked, and there's so many lists and so many practices that are suggested. We have meditation, prayer, giving, fasting, fellowship, journaling, worship, stewardship, generosity, study, evangelism, contemplation, Bible reading, solitude, gratitude, self-examination, silence, celebration. We're going to continue to go through those over the next few weeks, but we're doing it from this perspective. We're renewing our mind and persuading our heart to believe. And we start from a place of completion. Last week, we looked at Colossians 2, 9, and 10. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity or the Godhead dwells bodily, in bodily form. And you have been made complete in Christ, which is the head over every ruler and authority. Say, I am complete in Christ. That is a spiritual reality which happens to be true. And it is the truth. This temporary experience is just a reality. And we live in multiple realities all at the same time. But only one is true. In other words, only one is the core that will remain when everything else is shaken. That which can be shaken, it's not that it's not a true reality, it's just that it's not an eternal reality. And I'm associating eternity with truth versus temporary being a reality. You can have a reality that has zero truth related to it. You can have a reality that someone is really upset and angry with you because they didn't speak to you this morning when really they're just thinking about their loved one who's suffering and difficult or maybe they have pain in their body and they just didn't even really pay attention to you when they walked into the room. But you developed this whole, oh, well, they didn't speak to me. Maybe they're mad at me. I don't know if they really like me. You know what? I don't think they ever like me. And that's your reality. And it feels real to you. And, it, and it, you just made it up. So you come into like uh, emotional disorders 
that may be associated with trauma from the past or failure from a failed business or, or, or whatever, you know, failed marriage, relationship. Those are realities that are, have truth to them. And you can choose to live in that reality. In other words, stay in that place and let it define you and let it create thoughts within you, which then produce emotions, which then produce actions, which then creates a life. Or you can say, you know what? That was true of me. That, that happened. But I'm stepping out of that, and I'm stepping into my eternal, eternal reality. I'm stepping into my truth. I am in Christ. And what is a person in Christ? What's the quality of their life? What, what, is the, what is the quality of life of someone in Christ that did experience trauma? Is Christ affected by the trauma? He's touched with the feeling to, feelings of your infirmity. He, he empathizes. But, you know, I love the passage that, that he says, the enemy comes and he has nothing in me. I want to be, be able to say that. Whether the enemy be a spiritual dark entity or a lie or an emotion, emotion associated with a, a, a former habit or, or whatever it might be, I want to be able to say, you know what, this temporary lie, this reality that's not true of me, there's nothing in me holding on to that. Even in the midst of actual grief, you know, losing people and having sorrow for the condition of people's lives and things like that. It's not, it's not that you just kind of put your head in the clouds and pretend like nothing's wrong. You know what I'm saying? It's not like you just live... Well, I'm just so spiritual, the world doesn't affect me at all. Well, that's not, that's not productive either. You don't let it define you. You live from the perspective of who I am in spirit toward the rest of the world. And as you make decisions, you check yourself. You go back. I, you know, I have this kind of idea that I'll allude back to regularly. I've been writing this book this week. I'll tell you what, I got a little bit proud of myself this week because I'm excited about this book. I'm very, 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 very close to the end of it. I'm sending it off to the editor probably tomorrow, um, and I'm so stoked about it. It's going to be good. I'm going to give it to all of you for free digitally, but um, anyway, let me keep going because I could start talking about that. But the point is there's a part in there where we talk about you have a self-portrait of yourself painted inwardly on your heart. We could go through all the facets of what the heart does, the, the capacities of the heart, but we know that it, it's with the heart that we believe. Specifically, we can believe unto righteousness, but believing is a capacity of the heart. Believing is not a capacity of the brain or the mind, as if that's where they are. Well, we do know the brain. I think there's a brain in there. But the mind being soulish, but the spirit being spirit, it's real technical. Um, gosh, I keep getting, I, I, I ran down the book track and then I got myself distracted here. So just, just making sure that we're, oh, the self-portrait. So when we go into life making decisions, I, I see this process where we, we check. What do I look like? I'm, I'm going into an opportunity where there's temptation. I'm going into an opportunity where I have a genuine opportunity to elevate my state 
whether that be a better relationship or a better job or better health or an opportunity to plug into a, a fitness trainer to really get a hold of my health or I want to plug into this opportunity to go through some coaching to really, really just grow up mentally. I have an opportunity to plug into a 12-step program and finally kick this habit. I have an opportunity to raise a little bit of money and go on a mission trip that it's just really stretching me. Every opportunity we get, we look down and we see, okay, who am I? Am I somebody? Does my self-portrait, my image of myself, am I somebody that can go into that? And as I'm going into that, what does who I think I am, what's that person going to do in that situation? You get into it, and then who you think that you are comes out. But if you go into things, whether it be conquering temptation, destroying a sin habit, or stepping into a level of success you've never experienced, go into it from the perspective of who you are in spirit. Amen? Or whether you're at the end of your life and you're preparing for death. You know, there's a lot of people that are just like, I'm, ready, I'm done, I'm ready. And, I, you know, if it's at the appropriate time in their life, Praise God. Die in faith, but live in faith first. So that's what we're talking about doing is engaging in spiritual practices. Today, talking about the discipline of contemplation and meditation from a state of completion. Not So especially if you have some habits that you want to conquer, because you've already conquered them in Christ. Christ has already given you the victory. If you pop out of your body and you enter into that spiritual dimension and you are eternally with the Father from then on, it's not like you're going through some type of process to become worthy enough to then go there. Now you're done. The work's done. So live from that now. So that the rest of your being reflects what he's done spiritually within you. Because the world is looking for truth. Let me just tell you, the world is looking for something. You know, the world is watching the news, and you don't know what to believe. You know, it used to be the news would report the facts, and you'd decide how you feel about it. Yeah. Now they tell you how to feel, and you decide if it's a fact or not. Did you follow me on that one? I stole that from somebody. I don't know where it came from. You probably heard that. So what we're doing in this process as we are, Romans 6, 13, we're not presenting our members, our bodies as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but we're presenting ourselves to God as being alive from the dead, as our members are instruments of righteousness to God. That's what we're doing. We're yielding to him and saying, I am alive from the dead. In other words, I am no longer dead in my sin. I'm alive in Christ. I'm yielding to the power of righteousness within me to live this life. Amen? I'm on a roll here. That last part of that verse is really the equation of uh, the Colossians. Yeah. One completeness in Christ, is it not? It is, yeah. So, so because you are complete in him, in spirit, you then yield your physical body to him to be influenced by that completeness. That's a good question. We talked about prayer last week. 
Your homework was wake up every day and put on your spiritual identity. Same kind of concepts. Settling in on this idea, discipline your prayer life to reflect your identity in Him and His will. So when you pray, start from who you are in Him. Not from the midst of the problem or the issue. Because He already knows what you need before you ever even ask. And because He values you more than flowers and birds, He will provide for you. Say, He will provide for me. And in fact, He already has provided for you. In spirit, but it's available. So we're talking about meditation. Meditation from this perspective and what we're going to talk, what we're, what you're, how you're going to engage in the spiritual discipline of meditation this week and on forward is with this idea in mind. It's, it's focused, intentional thought. Meditation is not when you try to go to some other kind of realm. You're already in that realm. Romans 8 tells us the way that you know that you're in the Spirit is if the Spirit is in you. You are in spirit. Say, I am in spirit. You don't have to figure out how to pop out of your body and go figure out how to go get noses and ears out of the throne room secret corridor of extra body parts or whatever. (laughs) Some of y'all are like, where did that come from? Um, You are in spirit now. You have access to everything God is now. In spirit, you are complete in him. If you were to pop out of your body, you look marvelous. <laughs> marvelous, darling. That's, that was an old throwback. So focused, intentional thought with the goal of transformation. Transformation is not when you become something that you are not. It's when that which is within overcomes that which is without. Like a butter, like a caterpillar. The wings are already in the caterpillar. It just goes into a state of rest, and then it metamorphosizes into what looks like a different creature, but that which is within actually grows outwardly. So that's what you're doing. Living life from now forward is not trying to become a better person. See, because a lot of, Christ- a lot of Christianity is from the perspective of they don't, they don't understand. So many Christians don't understand the born-again new creation facet of of our life now. You know, it's as if being born again means, okay, you have some... We have have a perspective of being born again that that is more closely related to what Abraham experienced than what we experience in Christ. So Abraham, God asked Abraham, sacrifice your firstborn child to me, and that will, be a, that will be the beginnings of a covenant that we enter into, and through you I'll be bless all the nations and make you a nation of priests. And, you know, all the stuff that God wanted to do, he picked Abraham. Why did he ask him to sacrifice his firstborn child? Well, because Abraham was a Baal, a, a, um, Baal, is it Baal? Baal worshiper. Sam, help me out. I got my gods wrong. Yeah. Worship, right. Worshiping Baal. And they had a habit of, demonic habit, of sacrificing their firstborn children. And so God met him where he... We know this because God later on says, I don't desire sacrifice. That, that stuff is not a sweet savor to me. 
I'm not even interested in the blood of goats and bulls. But, but because of where you are, we're going to use that temporarily for a while until we get you to the point where I really want you to be, and that is entering in the sacrifice of my son. And all of that stuff was a perversion of the real sacrifice that would come. So it's like he, he met him where he was, entered into his mindset and belief, but then he stopped it and changed forever that practice of human sacrifice because he himself provided himself for a, a lamb. Now, there's probably other nuances involved in that, but it's God's rewriting how he makes himself at peace with God, with people. And that is through himself and our faith in him. So, but because of, and then God made Abraham promises that through him, he would have a child that would be a blessing. Uh, through that child would be a family through which God would bless all the nations of the earth. That was God's plan. The reason God did all of that stuff was for one reason, and that is so he could have a conduit within the earth through which he could bless all the nations of the earth. Ultimately, we know that was to get down to Christ through which he could bless all the nations of the earth through offering salvation and entry into relationship with him eternally. But the righteousness that Abraham had was not a... A, a, an exchanging of natures. Like it didn't affect the kind of being that he was. The righteousness that, or the right standing with God, or the at one the atonement that Abraham had with God, nothing changed in the kind of being that Abraham was. He still had the same root and the same core. There was no spiritual surgery performed upon him where that root of the body of the sins of the flesh was removed and then God's spirit was put in him through this new heart, right? So there's a totally different thing that happened with Abraham. God looked at Abraham and he said, I'm going to credit righteousness to you because you trust me. With us, I'm going to do a deep work within you and I'm going to change the kind of being that you actually are so that your righteousness is the same as Christ's righteousness and you're a different kind of being. You are not just an Abrahamic mentally assenting to agreement with me and your faith in me and your trust is in me. No, because of that, now you are going to be a different kind of creature on this earth. That might seem basic and simple to you, but it's not to a lot of believers. Honestly, I mean, you may not realize this, but a lot of people don't live from that perspective. And so, so because people are confused about that, they're not emphasizing the exchange of natures on the cross with Christ. They, then, then Christianity then becomes like an Old Testament or Old Covenant pursuit to continue to live a lifestyle, and that lifestyle determines whether or not you're acceptable by God. Now, does that mean you should live a sinful lifestyle and just run on out there and do whatever you want to do sinfully? Of course not. Grow up if you think that that's what we're saying. I mean, come on. But live from the understanding what you are now in spirit. And so when you engage in these processes, these spiritual practices and disciplines, it's not an effort, it's not an effort to do better. You're not, you cannot add to the completed salvation of Christ. You cannot improve upon your salvation. 
You can only experience more of it. And there's all of it available to experience, as much as we can believe for. All things are possible for those who believe. Whatsoever things that you ask when you pray, believe that you have received, and they will be yours. Have received, and it will be yours. That's the difference between spirit and manifestation through transformation. You have received it. It's there. Everything you ever think that you need or want to be, you are. But the have received is the faith. And this is the journey that the Israelites, we walked through this last week. The Israelites, having been brought out of Egypt, wandered in the desert for 40 years. They could have gone about a two-week journey straight on over into the promised land. But because of their doubt and their complaining and their grumbling, it says that they could not enter because of their unbelief. God had a thing over here. Now, once they got there, it wasn't just all going to be peaches and ice cream because there were giants in the land that could kill them. So they would, even in the promised land, there were still battles. But had they walked with God and just trusted Him and allowed themselves to be shaped into who He needed them to be to win those battles, I think they could have just gone right in and gone right in and conquered right then. But it says specifically, and this is Hebrews, they could not enter because they did not mix faith with the promise. This is what you're doing when you're engaging in spiritual practices and disciplines. You are mixing faith, in other words, trust, with the promise. Whatever the promise might be. You know, we emphasize a lot on the promises. Amen? So... Focused, intentional thought, meditation, contemplation is when you hold the Word, or the Word of God specifically, in your mind and heart. Or when you hold the Word in your mind and heart, it will produce fruit and transformation. But fruit in relation to the kind of being that you are now. Transformation as evidence of what and who you already are. Not because you're trying to live a lifestyle to become something, to keep God happy, to then bless you. They're already in there. The living of the upright lifestyle, it's just like it just makes space in your life to grow into your life so that you can enjoy and experience it. You know, the, the more clean you live, the more holy that you live, the more pure that you live, the more sin-free that you live, the more at peace with God that you live... You don't gain higher aspects of righteousness or holiness, but you are expanding the capacity of your heart because you're getting that guilt and shame out of there to allow that which He's already given you to enter into even this presence. It's like we push back the darkness with our faith, and then the seed that's in there will grow and produce after its own kind. You don't have to produce fruit. It will produce on its own. But you do have to quit doing the things that's choking the fruit from growing right now. Those things might be sin habits that you got to deal with. Stop sinning because you're choking the Word. Now, is God mad at you over it? No. I mean, He's not particularly happy about it. But He's not withholding from you. Are you with me? It's a self-regulating process. It's like our heart is a governor that's regulating how much we're going to let ourselves experience of him. Now, 
it is a relationship. He's active. I'm not saying he's just sitting there doing nothing and it's all up to you. He's bigger than your heart. He's involved in your life. He's certainly sovereign and king of all and can do anything he wants to do. But how he chooses to use his sovereignty, his omnipotent power, is to co-labor with us. You know, it's kind of like the period that the Israelites were in the desert. They should have engaged in these spiritual disciplines and practices to have their mind renewed so that they would allow God to shape them into the kinds of people that could then go in and defeat giants. But because they didn't let him do that work, because they were grumbling and complaining, they didn't become the kinds of beings and humans with the mindsets and faith toward God that could then go in and defeat the giants. So then you get all these cute little theologies like, well, God's going to give you a problem. I asked for help and he gave me a problem so that I could learn how to conquer the problem and that's the help that I need. Oh, man. Give me a scripture for that. That's about as dumb as it gets. But that preaches because that satisfies the flesh. That satisfies our carnal thinking. That satisfies the thinking that we are Abraham and that we need to live a lifestyle to improve upon ourselves, to then be acceptable, to then be able to receive. I want to burn that to the ground. It is not serving the body of Christ. So, thought life. I'll give you a few passages and then we're going to wrap up. This is, um, let's see, I have no, there we go. That, so, I, 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 I don't really understand a whole lot about what I know about it. You know what I mean? Like, I know a lot of stuff about a particular area of um, neuroscience and the ideas of neuroplasticity and how your beliefs shape even your physical existence and how your beliefs and they're studying now that hereditary things that are encoded into your genetics, like what you look like, are also affected by what they call epigenetics. Epigenetics are almost like spirit, it's almost like, it's almost like energetic DNA that rests on top of the, the bits that make up DNA. So from our parents and from our environment, we receive our genome that makes you the human that you are, but then there are also energetic facets of DNA that are passed down, and those energetics affect DNA, and those energetics are made up by beliefs, emotional states, thought patterns, worldviews. Those are energetics that are passed down that, that are measurable and exist in who you are. And, and those things are subject to change. Those things are subject to being affected by new beliefs, new worldviews, new ideas that actually then can change the DNA. You know, we're thought science has told us for a long time that whatever your DNA says, that's what it will be. Well, no, there's an even deeper level now that says there's another layer here of hereditary information that is subject to change. That explains him to the Father. Yeah, that they won't be passed down. Right. So dealing with thought life, what we're talking about is, you know, it, we're not just talking about mind over matter. We're not talking about po the power of positive thinking. We're talking about 
living in the authority that we have in Christ to affect everything. Your beliefs build your life, but they actually energetically also affect the world around you. This is why I love the quantum physics stuff. We are under, coming to understand that we are so connected and that your belief literally affects the divine matrix, they call it, or the unified field theory, that a belief comes out of your brain and your heart in such a way that there's an electromagnetic aspect to it that affects the world around you. They did one study. One study showed where they put human DNA in a, in a controlled, imagine like a Petri dish. They put human DNA in it, and then they bombarded it with photons. And the study presumed that the photons would affect the DNA. And so they wanted to see how human DNA responded to the introduction of, of photons or light as molecules. So the photons were measurable not necessarily as a wave, but actually as molecules, right? Um, and what they found was this. So they thought that they would bombard the DNA with photons, and then the DNA would be affected by the photons, but the opposite happened. The DNA is almost as if the DNA, the human DNA in there sent a message out to the photons, and the photons rearranged themselves in response to the presence of the human DNA. I mean, I don't really even half understand that, but that's the effects of the study that they did. Now, you know, people get upset. So those kinds of scientists get upset when you bring that all the way up to the idea of we can, we can change our surroundings. But then you look at Scripture. Speak to the mountain and it moves. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Whatsoever things you believe when you pray, believe that you have. You know what I mean? There, there's, there's biblical precedent, agreement to the idea that humans can affect the world just through words and belief. Wow. This is what you're trying to do. You're trying to get your mindset and your being in alignment with who you are in spirit so that you live out of this authority that you have. Not to go around and commanding things, but just because of your sheer presence in the earth. Peter walks by and people are healed in the shadows. Jesus just goes about his day. Thousands of people out there need to be fed. He's concerned. They've been listening to him preach all day. He wants to feed them. The disciples are like, we need to send these people away because they're going to get hungry and we're going to have a problem. He's like, well, let's feed them. They're like, feed them? It's going to take us six months to come up with enough money to feed this many people. He's like, well, how much, what kind of food we got? We got a couple of fish, two loaves of bread? That'll do. Watch me work. Wow. I think so. So how many of you have ever been in a situation? Maybe you're feeding the homeless. You're thinking, we don't have enough food. But then what happens? The exact amount of food happens, and it seems that pot multiplies. You, honestly, you ever been in that situation? I've heard that exact same type of... We've been in that. We did some stuff early on. We used to go up into Atlanta and do more outreach. I'm looking forward to kind of getting back into the cult, that culture mindset of outreach. You know, we haven't done a lot of that. 
but um, that I can feel that rising back up. Those of you that are evangelistic or, or want to kind of get out a little bit and do some stuff, you know, because all the evangelists sit in the room and they're like, God, are we here again? Are we having church again? Let's go. Let's go out. Let's go out. Let's go out. So evangelists go out, judge the church for doing church when it should be working together, and the evangelists inspire and then lead. We need some evangelists leading up in this place. Can I get an amen? Amen. Mindset, thought. All right, so 85 to 90% of your thoughts, feelings, and actions are the same as the day before. And, and really, it's up higher, closer to this 95. Some even say 98%. In other words, by the time you're 40 or 50 years old, you have settled into a routine in life where you basically have the same patterns of thought every day. So ultimately, we buy, so, so because of that, we bypass our thinking and do what our environment has trained us to be and do. In other words, you just have all these thoughts and patterns and concepts that you run over and over because you end up in the same situations every day. You wake up, you get out of the bed, same side of the bed, you go and you do the same routine in the morning, you brush your teeth, you have your coffee, you put your clothes on, you go to work the same way, you do your job the same way, you come home the same way, you see the same people all the time, you go to it, and it's all the same. And in that scenario, the body becomes the brain. In other words, it's programmed within us to just do what we feel we need to do in that moment. I'm hungry, it's time to eat. You know, there's no conscious effort to override this 95% habitual behavior that we have. We live life with a bunch of habits, repetitive actions that we don't even think about. The carnal world and desires become our default. And when I say carnal world, I'm not talking about evil world. I'm just talking about the demands of the physical world. That becomes our default. But you can retrain your mind to habitualize spiritual awareness and interaction. You can retrain your mind to habitualize spiritual awareness and interaction. Not spiritual awareness in terms of, I wonder what song they're singing in heaven right now. I wonder what my mom's doing. My mom just had a friend join. My mom passed a couple of years ago. One of her really close friends we found out passed yesterday. So, you know, while that's sad, they were both dancers. They, they love to shag dance. If you've never heard of shag dance, it's, it's actually dancing. <laughs> uh, I can just see them up there shag dancing, cutting a rug. But anyway, I digress. So, not that. You know, although that is a reality, that is a true spiritual awareness, um, <clears throat> I'm talking about what is it that God has available for me right now that can affect my life, that moves me closer to being able to engage the desires of my heart in this life? There's a call of God on my life. There are things that God wants me to do. And, and I want to live along the path of just following him. Doesn't mean you abandon everything and forget about the world. Doesn't mean that you won't have a job because you do have a job. You got to pay the bills. You got to provide for your family. And that doesn't mean that everybody needs to have the goal of being in full-time ministry 
unless that's what God has called you to do, then you move that direction and you get equipped and trained and make the steps that will lead you along that path. But just in turn, how can I live spiritually today? Spiritually being, being loving, kind, generous, thoughtful toward others, patient toward others, all the definition of what love is. How can I live in such a way toward these people? So when I go to work today, rather than just doing my normal routine, I'm going in there realizing I'm on a mission. We're on a mission from God. <laughs> Tattooed right on your knuckles. Romans 12, 2, we know this. Don't be conformed by the pattern of this world pattern. And that's what I'm talking about, patterns. But patterns that we get into in this world. Don't be conformed by that stuff. But be transformed by the renewing of the mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. I personally don't think that there's a good and then a separate pleasing, and then a separate perfect will, as if sometimes you're only in his good will, but you're really wanting to hit the bullseye of his perfect will. I think these are three adjectives describing the same thing. His will is good, pleasing, and perfect. You disagree, that's fine. You know, that's not a bone we have to pick, but that's how I see it. And the way that you engage in his will, and so the word that you will be able to test and approve God's will is more related to prove out his will. In other words, it's as if you are the gold that is being refined, and what comes out of it is a tested or proven, more pure form of what has just been tested. And when we hear that word test, we instantly think trials that God's putting us through for some reason, but that's not the context here. The context is a purification. You're pure in spirit, but you got these soul habits, you got these thoughts that are destructive, you got these sin habits in your flesh. That stuff's got to be burned away from you. Burn it, burn it away from you. But the way that you do it is by the renewing of your mind. Not some external will that God or trial that God crafted for you, and if you go through that trial and you pass that test, then you get a cookie. There's no precedent at all for that type of interaction with God. It's an internal process. There's this, Old Covenant. Keep this book of the law or instruction always on your lips. Meditate on it day... I think I put... So let me just... Just for clarity, there should be parentheses around or instruction, because I added that. Um, but some translations refer to law as instruction. But we know now under the new covenant, God's laws are written on our hearts. In other words, they are a part of us that are leading us naturally rather than external laws that we have to read. Oh, gosh, that now, okay, so I'm contrary to that law. Now I have to do that law even though my inward man rebels against it. You're not that anymore. God's laws are in agreement with the kind of being that you are. It is natural for you to actually obey God now. That body of the sins of the flesh was removed from you. And that refers to the mere human nature that was opposed to God and prone to sin has been removed. That's actually what that word, body 
of flesh means the human nature that was opposed to God and prone to sin. So, instructionally, keep this book of the law, that stuff that God has written within you, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. God must be one of those prosperity preachers. Uh, you know, I don't know. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. I love it. It sets that. That's what we have over the door. This is the passage that we have over the door when you first come in. This is what I want you to look up, and this be your mindset when you come to worship here. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on the earthly things, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is an identity call to action. Ephesians 4.22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life or who you used to be to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds. I thought I read it. Sorry. You read it, so Colossians 3, 1 through 3. Okay. Um, Ephesians 4, 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted in its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. I mean, check your attitude. Uh, and to put on the new self created in the image of God in true holiness and righteousness, true righteousness and holiness. Not created to be like, that, that's actually a, a translation that doesn't reflect the, or I can't remember which translation that was, but um, you, the, the indication in this passage is think in accordance with who you already are. So the, my, the idea is renew now your mind after your spirit. Renew your mind so that it reflects what you look like in your spirit. Are you with me? And then <clears throat> Philippians 4.8, now, dear brothers, so now we get specific. We're talking about meditation. We're talking about contemplation. We're talking about choosing the focus of our thoughts. We're talking about sitting and holding the Word of God in our hearts and minds. We're talking about I've got a facet of my life that I want to see change or improve, I know that as I infuse the Word of God into it, in that part of me that's associated in that aspect of life, as I let the Word of God marinate and assimilate into my thinking, I break out of the pattern of the world that I've been conformed into because I just wake up and just go about my day. I just do the same things over and over and over again. I'm breaking out of that by choosing a focused, intentional thought goal. And that goal starts from the perspective of I've already obtained it, I'm already complete, but I'm going to hold it in my heart and mind. And then how Jesus describes the Word of God working works. And that is Mark 4, he says, this is how the kingdom works. After he's talked about planting the Word, the farmer, it's like the farmer casts seed in the ground. He goes to sleep, he wakes up, he doesn't know how it happens, but it produces after its own kind. This is where the faith comes in, to trust that the Word works. Well, you know, I meditated today. Nothing changed. 
do it again. And then 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 do it again. But from the place of completeness in Him, from the place of your security in Christ, from the place of knowing that He's already given you everything that pertains unto life and godliness, all things are possible for those who believe, not because you're trying to get better at believing, but because you're trying to eliminate doubt. This is what meditation is. It's, it's focusing and believing and persuading your heart and mind of what's already true, not to make it true, not to make God give it to you, but to give space for it to grow into your life because it will produce after its own kind. You meditate all the time. You hold thoughts in your mind that then become reality. In fact, most of what we worry about never actually happens because I don't think worry is as potent of a seed as a promise of God. In fact, energetically, they've done brain scans and they can measure the intensity of a thought. And they will have the person purposefully think a negative thought. And then they will have the person purposefully think a positive, self-affirming thought. And the positive thought is 100 times more powerful energetically, you know, the, the, what they can measure, 100 times stronger than the negative thought. I wish I had that study and, you know, ready to recall, but it's out there. So we get specific. Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true. That is meditation. This, this is, this, it is what meditation. Fix your thoughts on what is true. So when you face a situation in life, stop, ask yourself, what's true here? What actually is true here? I'm depressed, I'm sad, I'm broke, I'm sick, my friend is struggling, the world is crazy, our nation is whatever. You know, I mean, whatever it is that's affecting your life, the whatever realm of life you're in and having to face and deal with, do this. Stop. Grab yourself. Smack yourself in the face if you have to. Do something to interrupt the pattern because it is shaping you. Interrupt that pattern and fix your thoughts on what is true. Don't slap each other. <laughs> she said she was going to hit me. I'm getting to the end of my preaching because I'm getting a little silly here for a minute. Honestly, I mean, what's true? And so what's true of me in this situation? And if I'm in Christ, if Christ is in me, if I can mirror Christ, if I'm being conformed into the image of Christ... I already am in spirit, but the rest of my being, that, the, that is the root of your self-perspective, your self-image. What's true? Even if you believe and then the external thing doesn't match truth. Are you with me? Because that's where, that's where we need to be careful. When we believe and then it doesn't come to pass, which happens a lot. Happens a lot. I 100% believe in healing. I believe that God wants us to be 100% healthy, and then at the time 
We lay down and close our eyes and our spirit pops out of our body and we move on, just like Moses. I don't think you have to die sick. Now, I've only heard very few stories of that being true in some people's lives that did die in faith when they chose. But I think that's possible, and that should be the norm. So, but, I, but, but, but I'm not going to judge the body of Christ or you or me for not having enough faith if that's not our reality. Are you with me? It's like there's just these potentials that are available. And we're trying to believe the best we can to experience that stuff. But, but it's not like we need to get twisted up emotionally about it not being our reality, you know? And, and, and then trying to blame God because it didn't happen as it, you know, all these theologies that get built. That's what happens is we see these potentials in, in God and the, and the way of the, the kind of life that we can have. And then because we're not experiencing them, we pull God down into it and associate it with his will as if he's choosing which ones you get to experience or not. And if you think about it, if Jesus were standing in front of you, like he did many times, he's, what, would, what do you want me to do for you? Well, you know, I'd kind of like to be able to walk. Okay, be it done unto you according to your faith. Get up and walk because your sins are forgiven. What? My faith? That's a whole other sermon. Fix your thoughts. Say, I will fix my thoughts. In fact, just for a moment right now, picture yourself where you are first thing in the morning. You can close your eyes if you want to. You don't have to. But picture yourself wherever you normally are first thing in the morning. Just see it for just a moment. Look around the surroundings. Look around the room. I'm imagining it's your bed. As soon as you come to consciousness, you're going to fix your thoughts. You're going to choose what you're going to think about. Rather than reacting to whatever comes to your mind or your emotional input, you're going to choose your thoughts and tell yourself right now, I will choose my thoughts and I will fix them on whatever is honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. I will think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So there's a lot of direction about how to think and what to think about. Why? Because the Word of God will produce fruit in your life. And it is, in fact, the way that you experience transformation. Hold the Word and trust that it is growing. And as it grows, it shapes every other aspect of your being to mirror who you are in spirit. Think about these things. This word think is logizomai which is an expression of the root word logos. The word logos is the Greek word for word. John 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then a little bit later, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the incarnate expression of the word of God. The word of God or the Logos of God, is not just what he has spoken or written. It is his logic. It is his way of thinking. 
It is the character behind the words that he speaks. Your word, when you handshake somebody and you give them your word, there's a logos to that. In other words, the character that is behind who you are backs up whether or not that word is good or not. That's word. It's more than just written words or spoken words. It's the integrity and the character of the person behind the words that are written or spoken. So when you see God became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus is the logic of God in human form. He is how God thinks. He is how God reasons. He is how God associates and relates. Jesus. Amen? So this express, and I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, so the point being, this logizomai is a process which we engage in that's deeper than just a word. It's we're interacting with whatever is going on. So when you're thinking, you're interacting with the Word of God. Are you with me? So to think is to reckon. Say, I reckon so. I reckon it's so. <laughs> reckon, compute, calculate, factor in. I pulled these straight out of the Thayer's Greek lexicon for logizomai. Uh, take into account, logically reason, count, credit. So you think about what's true. You calculate what's true. You, you reason with it. You wrestle with this idea. And so what does this look like in action in your life? This is the last passage. I know it's gone long. We had a long video. 2 Corinthians 10, 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or physical, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, pause for just a minute there. I'm going to go back here. A stronghold is not when a demon is in your life and has driven a stake in the ground, and the demon itself is the stronghold. Are you with me? Because we're taught that. We're taught that, well, you know, I'm going to get in a helicopter, and I'm going to fly up over the city, and I'm going to see spiritually what strongholds are over the city, as if the stronghold is the entity itself. The stronghold in our life is the belief. So the stronghold is, I am a kind of person that cannot overcome fear. I struggle with anxiety, and that's who I am. That's the stronghold. Now, you might have an imagination associated with that because of how you think about yourself, or you might even have a dark entity that is reinforcing that lie. So in other words, a demon doesn't have power in your life other than to echo back to you the thought that you already have that you are someone that struggles with anxiety. So if you have the core belief, I struggle with fear. I struggle with this sin habit over and over. It's just who I am. A demon will stand outside of you and emanate a message or signal frequency to you that is in line with what you already believe about yourself, and it will seem to reinforce. And it's like, I'm hearing it from all directions. I hear it in me. I hear it out here. Whether you're actually hearing a demon or not, you're just, it's like a radio signal that you're perceiving. 
right? You can grab a radio, tune it to a frequency, and music will start coming out of that box. That's how I perceive demons work. They're outside of you sending a message to you, and if you're tuned to the frequency of agreement with that lie because you're already putting it out, it becomes a reinforced stronghold in your life. But watch this. Get rid of the lie. The demon's like, oh, what do I do now? There's nothing in there for me to hold on to, so I guess I better go find somebody else. That's deliverance. Quit believing the lie. Amen? Amen. For though we walk in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God of the pulling down strongholds. How? Casting down imaginations. You want to defeat lies? You want to defeat even demons? Cast down imaginations. And every high thing, whether it be an actual entity or just a false belief, whatever it is that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I'm going to switch microphones. You got me? So, what you are bringing into obedience is the thought. You're not grabbing the demon, tying it up, throwing it at the cross and saying, you better obey Jesus. Anybody ever been engaged in spiritual warfare, fighting with demons, and you tried to make them obey Jesus? What is your name? When Jesus asked that demoniac, what's your name? He wasn't talking to the demon. He was talking to the fella, trying to get to him. But the guy was so demonized, the demon answered. Let's just keep going for another hour. I've got a whole bunch of stuff. We're almost done. Bring every thought captive to what? To the obedience of Christ. Now, this is another nuance. You're not even trying to get the thought to obey Christ. What you're doing is you're bringing that thought captive to get your thoughts into agreement with whatever Christ was obedient to. See, Christ was obedient, even unto death. And his obedience, he learned humility. In obedience to God, Christ learned to lay down his will and pursue God's will. In Christ's obedience to the Father, he learned how to yield to God and trust to continue following him even though he didn't want to. You do know that, right? Jesus prayed three times in the Garden of Gethsemane. I don't want to do it this way. Can we, can we do it another way, Lord, please, Father? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done, he says. Praise God. That, that's what you're doing. You're bringing thoughts captive into what Christ was obedient to. Now, there's a lot of meat on that bone that we could kind of unpack and talk about, but that's, that's your homework this week. Fix your thoughts on what's true. And as thoughts come into your mind that raise themselves up against the knowledge of God, what you know about God to be true, bring your thought into alignment with what Christ accomplished at the cross. Because it was through death that he learned obedience. <laughs> that's, a, now, that's a heck of a thing to learn obedience through.
man, I, I just, I love this facet of the gospel talking about the cross. Finally, just do it. Just like last week. I'm not going to do the stance, but final thought. Discipline your mind and heart to agree with the word of God. No matter the emotions you're feeling or the circumstance you're in, the word of God is spiritual and can change you and the circumstance. This is a spiritual practice that you must discipline yourself to do. Not to improve upon your salvation, but to experience what is available within it. And when those thoughts rise up against the knowledge of God, what God says is true, you bring that thought captive until your mind is in agreement with what Christ obeyed unto, what Christ accomplished at that cross. Do you see that? Are you with me? Are you going to commit to that? Because it's your life and it's your choice. You can either be conformed by the patterns of the world or you can be, tr you can be conformed to the image of Christ. And the way that it happens is in your thought life. There's just no other way around it. Scripture is very clear about it. Choose your thoughts. Fix your thoughts. Hold it within there and trust that it will produce fruit because it will. You're holding something in there one way or the other. You're never in neutral. And this is a scary thought and a heavy thought. You're never in neutral. You, either, you, you are cultivating one facet or the other. Conformity to the patterns of the world or conformity to the image of Christ. What we want to do is reset our defaults to naturally produce up to us conformity to the image of Christ. Or it's like a reprogramming process, but not to become, but because we already are. Amen? Let's stand up. Put your attention on the Lord. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the clear instruction that you've given us to fix our thoughts on what's true, specifically as it relates to what Jesus accomplished on our behalf and who we are in him. It always comes back to the same thing, you, Jesus. Because we want to live a life that's pleasing to you. We want to experience everything that you died to give us. But we also want to live a life that brings glory and honor to your name. And we want to follow you into the calling that you have in our lives to be those ministers, to be those ambassadors, to be those representatives in our lives and our cities and to our families and to strangers and to foreign nations and to our hometowns. We want to be those ministers that are led and taught by you that when we go into life, we are confident in you, in us. Not confident in us, but we're confident in you, in us. And we've done the work, we've disciplined ourselves to be in alignment with you, how you see us, so that we operate in the power and authority that is in us and we're not limiting your will for whatever that situation is we find ourselves in. So we trust you, Lord. We want to be used by you. We want to yield to you. We want to embrace your spirit so that we are our natural default mindsets are ones that are on the path of conformity to the image of Christ, not conforming to the patterns of the world. We love you and we trust you. Amen, amen.